Welcome back to another episode of the Just Checking In podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas, and start conversations. And I am your host, Freddie Cocker. Each pod, I check in with a very special guest. We have Anata and chat about all things mental health, as well as anything and everything else they are passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we discuss it. I've been searching for a male domestic abuse victim survivor to speak to on the podcast for a very long time. The stigma in men is one of, if not the most stigmatised issue in the men's mental health conversation. In this episode, I'm speaking to one man who is willing to share his story. I was recommended to contact Micah Fanimo, thanks to founder of Le Grace de Francois, Jackie, who I'd also appeared on her channel. Micah is the founder of food blog Feast with Fanimo, where he reviews restaurants from London, Essex and Liverpool. Firstly, in this podcast, we discuss his mental health journey. We talk about him being sent to Nigeria for boarding school from the UK because of behaviour issues he had in the UK in the school system, the subsequent relationship challenges with his parents and learning about them as people as he's become an adult. We then discuss that domestic abusive relationship. We talk about how she began to exert coercive control over him through text messages and his phone, high levels of jealousy and paranoia, his aversion to conflict and the role that played in the domestic abuse, the spiral into physical violence against him before an event which culminated in the end of his relationship where he was physically assaulted in her home. He had to restrain her to escape the premises before she then called the police on him, alleging she was the one being abused. He and her were both arrested despite the visible physical cuts, blood and scars on him before he was released without charge and he never saw her again. We explore all the stigmas present in male domestic abuse survivors, why they feel ashamed in reporting it, talking to their parents or their friends about it and seeking support too in the aftermath. So this is how my check-in with Micah Fanimo went. Micah, welcome to the Just Checking In pod, mate. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for coming over to my flat to do this in person. When Jackie gave me your contact details, I watched the interview you did with her. I was so keen to get you on. So thank you for telling me your story on this. And how are you, bro? I'm fine. As you come across, I was a bit surprised when you even reached out to me. I was first like, uh... Who's this guy? <laughs> no, not even just who's this guy. Who's like, wow, somebody's taking in the depth of my story. When Jackie recorded, she said, oh, thank you so much for coming. I don't know if it was like a kind of a path setter for her, but she said you were really open. So I didn't mind. I, I don't mind. It's nice for people to hear my side of the story or not even just to hear my side of the story, hear my story. It's not something that I've always been as open with. Maybe because I just thought people really didn't care. Maybe I just thought that was a chapter of my life that we've moved on. Mm -hmm. And also when it happened, I don't think there was emphasis on people of, of this, like how now there's a lot of awareness that mm. people want to know. I didn't think it was there back then. I just thought, okay, you're something that you do with a man. You keep going. And who knew? Almost a decade later. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, it's relevant again. So Yeah. You know. We're going to talk all about it, mate, in this podcast. And I'm really 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 genuinely pleased and proud to have you on because you're going to be the first man on the podcast who's talking about this subject with lived experience so 
without further delay, are you ready to start the show, mate? Groundbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to dive straight into this pod and talk about your mental health journey, Micah. So I ask all my special guests to this question first. Tell me about early life, teenage years, and looking back, were there any early mental health experiences? Who's the Micah we meet here? Oh, the Micah that you meet here is a combination of a very interesting but difficult childhood when i mean difficult i don't mean in the sense of i was blessed to have my mother and father with me from a behavioral aspect though i wanted to explore things i came from a christian background which i thought was restrictive in some ways but also provided me with a great family unit a great support system but trying to balance that with things that I see in the outside, what in my... Exploration. Yeah, exploration, what I saw in the outside, where I grew up and where I was raised. The hunger for more, to know that there was something else. And also looking back at what my parents, even though my parents were together, what they could and couldn't provide for me. Mm. I would always say like I had a wandering eye. There Mm. were some things that they didn't allow me to do. That's why I've probably never been a big fan of Harry Potter. (laughs) Witchcraft, yeah? Witchcraft. <laughs> like, I'm just looking at... I, I, never had, I never had that opportunity. I, I used to be a big fan of, like, Pokemon, Digimon. I used to have stacks of Pokemon yeah, cards, yeah, yeah. rare cards, Dragon Ball Z cards, stacks. They would question when I watched anime, you know, Dragon Ball Z, see the dragon coming out. Yeah, you see looking, my flat, I've got some anime yeah, posters. You're looking bro. at, ah, uh, <laughs> Digimon, Yu-Gi-Oh. I'm a huge anime fan. And some of these things, they frowned on so much. I mm. thought it was a bit restrictive, even when playing out. Because um, you can understand, like, that sort yeah, of thing to I be focused on. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, even when, like, playing out till certain times. Like, I mean, they did allow me to play out. I'm not going to disagree with that. Mm. But given the confines of where I could play, I always wanted to push further go mm. out more go out, explore like you said that like, what's the worst that could happen <laughs> out there i mean who knows maybe they're a little bit right in some sense but when you're a parent you want to find what you believe is the balance mm. and i'm probably going to be a parent in the next couple of years so i understand in some sense where they've come from uh, how's that going to impact me and how am i going to use it you know for my future kids but in that sense it was quite restrictive for me, talking from my childhood, I was rebellious in some ways because I thought they were trying to hold me down. And also I felt as the firstborn, I kind of felt unloved in comparison to my brother and my sister, especially from my father's side. That affected me not only in just my early childhood. We move into the early adolescence years. I'm talking from other people might think from 16 onwards. I'm talking about from the ages of 11 to 16. There's a lot of responsibility placed on you as the oldest. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get along with my dad right. at all. At all, I didn't like my dad. I thought my dad hated me. And I'm not going to sit here and lie. My dad provided for me in every way possible mm. because I got expelled from the UK. My mum sent me to Nigeria. I lived with my dad. They sent me to a private boarding school. My school fees were expensive. It's a private boarding school. So I was with other British, American, international students as well. A lot of naughty boys. And a girls. lot of naughty yeah, so, boys. No, it was a mixed mix. school. Okay. So we had like high profile people in my school, even Nigerians. So I don't know if you know um Files the bad guy. I had a, quite a few people in my I can't remember the names from the top of my head now. Some of them have gone on to be comedians, some of them have gone to be artists, 
some of them have just, you know... Just... It's a trend here. There's like a rebellious creative spirit yeah, that they all had. Exactly. But maybe their parents felt like it wasn't being channeled in the it right way. It wasn't being channeled in the right way. You, you had a lot of expressive people there. You had some, you know, tried to play football, just different things. My dad provided, but I, I didn't get along with my dad. Up until the point, I remember like 15 or 16, I thought he favoured my siblings over me. I wanted to fight him. Yeah. When did that change? When did your I... perception of your parents and when did your relationship change with him? Was it after you got out of boarding school? No, because even after I got out of my after I got out of boarding school, my dad was still such a pain in my ass. Mm. You know, I've left Nigeria, come back to the UK like permanently. When I didn't call him, it was just like, oh, why are you not calling me? And like, am I ignoring? I was just like, leave me alone. Like, let me. Like, let me, at least at one point, let me live my life. Mm. Like, you're on my case 24-7. I'm getting older. Mm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Leave me alone. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> but I would say that the time it changed was probably about 2014 or 15. Okay, how old were you at the time? Eight years ago now. 2014, six plus two, eight years ago. Okay. So I was 22. 22, okay. And... How did you adjust when you came back to the UK? Because going to Nigeria for boarding school is a big enough change in itself. And you know, I can't even imagine what it must have been like as, as a kid to have to leave all your roots and make new roots and all of that adjustment. But so how did it feel coming back? Did it feel like a homecoming or did it feel like almost you had to get adjusted to your old living, but it felt like a new living? It was difficult. And you know what? It's something that I was talking to my girlfriend yesterday. I said it's something that I still struggle with now in the sense that I'm 30 years old. I have a lot of friends, mm. loads of friends. Uh, people have commented on me about, uh, I always do say, uh, you're the best friend anybody could ever ask for. Not as a best friend, but like as an individual human being. I don't have a friendship group. I don't have one mm. friendship group. You see how you've got probably your boys that you came from five, six years old, or maybe 10 years old. I don't have that. I have a multitude of friendship group guess it's got pros and cons it's i'm, I'm kind of the cons. same because my social group is not from my school i've got one best mate and he ingratiated me into yes. that group but i've got bits and pieces that i can go into but again if my social group main, main social group are busy i could feel the same way as you, you yeah I mean? so on my phone i've got multiple group chats yeah i would say i've got key relationships with few individuals in the group mm. but not the whole group mm. so even though okay cool they, we might do a group activity I'm coming along because, yeah, Michael, let's come along. You're coming along. But my relationship only exists deeply with a few of you, not all of you. So I still don't feel part of that. Yeah, you haven't got the in-joke. I haven't, haven't got, got it. that, that yeah, experience, so the backstories. Oh, it, do you remember when we did this? Do you remember when we did that? Yeah. I, we might have a backstory of like the last four or five years, but they might have a backstory from... 20 years, 15 yeah, tw years. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So at the same time, one of my recent friends got married. His name was um, David. He plays for Port Vale. I am his oldest friend. We both know this. Even when we did his 30th birthday last year, it was just like, oh, but his friends would banter me and say, yeah, but you've known David the longest. Despite that, when I'm around him and his friends, there's a disconnect. There's even a disconnect with me and him. Because yes, we grew up together. But then I left and went to Nigeria. Do you understand what I'm mm. saying? Even though I was coming back every year, there is this huge, there are months. Gap. They're yeah. mums. Yeah. You've gone secondary school. And this gap also affected my relationship with my siblings. We'll probably get onto that <laughs> a little later. But like with my friends, you know, they're not living in the same house. There's huge gaps. 
And then I'm not seeing you as much. And yes, when we see each other, it's love all the time. But years of things have happened. So when he's, for example, if when he's, he's did his groomsmen, I knew I was never going to be a part of his groomsmen, despite me knowing him the longest. Does that make sense? Mm. I know you the longest. Because it's know, almost I, like you're separate. Yes, it's almost yeah. like I occupied this very weird space of, yes, this is my oldest friend. We've had so many memories together. But, but everyone else is here yes that they have more recent or more relevant core memories in the sense that whereby let's say you've had these core memories from 12 13 you have core memories from when you're seven and eight but i don't think they might have impact you as much as when you have them when you're a bit older Mm. 12 13 14 15 15, 16 Mm. where you're just doing craziness with your friends you build these core relationships with them so in another sense where you said how is it me settling okay I've left, I've left some friends here, gone to Nigeria. I've made a new batch of core friends. International students, some of the UK, so we'll meet They're all the over UK, the gaff now, aren't they? But they're yeah, all yeah. over the gaff. So I've now left them. I've now come back to the UK. When I come back to the UK for college, I'm neither here or I'm neither there. Where do I attach myself? You've got I'll to take yourself a, to a new group. I actually when I joined take, a new sixth form, yeah. But then they've a, got all of their experiences before sixth form. Exactly. So you've got to kind of get yourself into that mindset. It is, so I've got another set of college friends. College lasted for two years. I've gone, gone to uni. uni. Yeah. Got to make, yes, some of the friends overlap. Like, you know, as late as you get on in life, you find out that, oh, you went to this school and that school, and mm. then you can backtrack, but it's still foggy. You've gone to uni, you've made another new batch of friends. Uni's finished. Potentially, your uni friends are more likely the ones that you're meant to, you, you can fall back on, but you don't know them the longest. So I've come back and I have almost five, six, seven, eight sets of friends loads of friends huge friends but my experiences with them are fleeting in, are in fleeting. the yeah, yeah so i might know them some i know them for 20 years i have friends i've known for 20 years cool people we know our families really well at the same time when something's happened i might lean closer to the friends i've known for the last five because my memory is fresher with them they're stronger it's yeah. stronger yeah even though I haven't, I might not know them as long. So it has left me in, I would say, a very weird space. I've got great friendships, but in a way, I wonder how my life would have been if I had that core friendship mm, group. Mm. You, you can never know as well. You can never it's, know. Yeah, it's a difficult one. As and I, I think actually a lot of our experiences with those different social groups actually interact with each other. And it's good to hear that. Mm. Because I sometimes used to think that, you know, I join a new social group and then I've got to ingratiate myself into them. And they'll sometimes have little stories from year seven, eight, nine. I'm like, oh, I've just got to sit there and sort of just laugh. Yeah, laugh. Yeah. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, you get it. You get it. You get it. I want to talk now about the main issue that we're going to discuss, mate, which is domestic abuse and your story. And I know it's eight years ago now. I know you've moved on. I don't want it, this to be a, a podcast about trying to relive everything and because mm. and, and, I know it will be very painful at times. But mm. just tell me about how that relationship started. How did you meet this ex-partner? And when did the first red flags arrive? Funny enough that you say that, because I live in Liverpool now. Mm-hmm. My mum's clearing out the garage. I was helping her. And then my sister brought me a picture and said, oh, Michael, do you want this? This was last week. Saw the picture. It was of her. And I literally just froze. I was like, oh, Your sh-. back go up. Just yeah, I was, away, yeah, I was just like, whoa. Okay, mm. <laughs> just like okay, we're gonna pray, we'll put it in the skip. But then you start thinking about oh, all the things that happened there and then. I met her in college, in Havering Sixth Form. 
not Havering Sixth Form, Havering College, because you have Havering Sixth Form, you have Havering College. We discussed you went to school near me, you went to college near me. I went yeah. to St. Edward's in secondary school, so it's not far. Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I went to Havering College, and I remember you've just come back from Nigeria first year, so this was 2008, uh, 2009, started college. So just ingratiating myself into college, I had to change like my clothes style, my drip, <laughs> and everything. I had to. Because I was just getting back to because I was here now. So everything was different mm. again. And it's different when you're coming in fleetingly for come for Christmas, come for Easter, come for summer. Now yeah, I'm permanently back. So I remember I saw her walking in college. Oh, this was like December or something. I was just like, oh, my God, this guy's fit. I was like, yo, I, got, like, I have to talk to her. But I met her in college and then we started talking. And then when it started, it was good. She lived with her aunt and uncle, not too far from Harold Wood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Harold, yep. Harold Hill yep. somewhere near Haver- in the uh, Haven area in yeah. the Haven area so funny enough is that I started driving mm-hmm. <laughs> I got started driving quite early so I had like a Fiat Punta so we met we were talking you know what it actually wasn't the first year of college it was actually the second year second of year of college second okay. year of college because the first year of college integrate this was it was so it was towards the end of the first year going into the second year that summer that the, yeah, yeah. Mm, that spring, back spring end. Is, yeah, yeah, spring yeah, yeah. into summer. Yeah. So um, we've started talking. I've moved to her. She was cool. We went on a few dates, or as much as you could date then. <laughs> I was working in Empire Cinemas in Basildon, and we met, and everything was cool. You know, one or two. Every relationship then has one or two squabbles, mm-hmm. as it has. But there was no red flags then. Right. Nothing at all. Nothing was fine. I've gone on to uni, but she had to do something again in college. I think she had to do like maths or something again. So she stayed, but everything was still fine. I was driving up and down from Cambridge back to Hackney or Havering, wherever she, wherever she, yeah, yeah. wherever she was with her aunt or with her mum. I'll bring her back to Cambridge. We'll spend some time together. I'll drop her back, everything. And there was progress. She started driving as well. Got her to start driving. So she started driving really early and everything. But the red flag, the first red flag was the spitting incident. And that was definitely in 2000 and if I can remember, 2013. Mm-hmm. It was either late 2013 or early 2014. What I'm going to say is that it deteriorated quite quickly. And it was a long distance and the trust issues that it, was the yes, main yes, kind of it was, trigger or, or big it, red flag that led to those incidents. It was yeah. definitely. And the funny thing was that despite the distance, I was seeing her regularly. When you have a car, you can yeah. you can expand, you know, I'm in uni. I was working as well in uni and I was quite fortunate and quite blessed. I had a really good... I was working in Sainsbury's, but I was doing like nights. Mm-hmm. But how the Sainsbury's, I don't know, Sainsbury's nights were paying quite a fair bit there. And I'm in uni as well. So the nights they would do, they would do, it was two nights a week. However, the two nights a week would fall on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm-hmm. I worked four days and then get 10 days off. Wow. Okay. So it was great like that. So it was not like every weekend. So I noticed when I was, I was earning quite a bit near enough. On top of my, where you get uni, I was only like 900 to 1,000 pounds extra a month. Like, I was, mm. it was great for me. I don't know many people who are doing that really at uni. So I was comfortable being able to expend myself, go see her, X, Y, and Z. But like you said, those trust issues, I, I started living with my best friend, second year of uni, everything was great. And then the trust issues began. And there was one incident. This was the, the main incident. I remember I had to fill up my petrol tank and the machine swallowed my car it was the first time it happened it was late at night i was mortified i was just like yo 
what's going to happen? X, Y, and Z. Now, this is where I would say that this incident fell on me. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that, oh, I had something to contribute to the sparking of this fire. But the rest... Yeah. <laughs> so, there was one of my friends which she wasn't really a huge fan of. So, when the machine sold my card, I called my mum. This was about 2, 3 a.m. in the morning, by the way. I called my mum. No answer. I called my girlfriend. I called my girlfriend first at that time. I called her like three, four times. No answer. I called my mum. No answer. I called one of my boys. No answer. Understandable because it's the time of the day. I'm just trying. I'm just like, yo, it's no answer. And they weren't allowing me to drive off of the petrol because I said, yo, your machine has just swallowed my card. Mm. How am I going to pay? There's no contactless then. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah, no yeah. Con- So how am I going to... And you know, some petrol stations, they'll give you that pink sheet, mm-hmm. which will say, oh, you could come back later. I said, oh, can you make me... Or can you call the police or something? He wasn't having it. I was like, you're making this really difficult. I've come to pay for the petrol. After calling a lot of people, nobody picking up, I decided to call this, this girl. Picked up. Well, what would you know? What, <laughs> what, what are the odds? What are the odds? What are the odds? You call everybody that. And then he picked up. said, yo, is there something you can do or if you can assist me, blah, blah, to pay for my petrol? And she said, yeah, yeah, no problem. So I took her long card details. So I think they could punt. There, so many things have changed now. Before, And you know how you could do the long, you could pay yep. with the strap. They could take the details down. They, you could sign or something with the information. Mm-hmm said okay cool it's cool they pull it through i said okay thank you very much i'm gonna send the money back to you when i get home so i put the information in my wallet and i've gone i haven't spoken to her again after that right do you understand what i'm saying so it was just like okay it's a need yeah i can help you by the you help me bad times there's no problem i know you're good for it so cool so i've gone home back to cambridge that happened in london by the way in thurrock i drove to cambridge that night so everything was cool, paid the money back. But I left the receipt for that transaction with the details on it and her name in my wallet. I f- forgot to throw it away. Just left it in my wallet. Cool. And then um, my girl at that time, she came over to my house. So I said, okay, cool. She came back like a week or so later. She came over a week or so later post that incident. Obviously, she, when she's woken up, she said, oh, how did you get in? Blah, blah. How'd you, how'd you get back? I said, ah, oh, my friend helped me. X, Y, and Z just needs to get back. I just kind of nipped it in the bud mm. just to make sure she didn't ask too many questions on it. Could I have been more open then? Probably. Yes, I could have. But I was just happy to get back at that time, just to get back. So she's come over. She stayed with me, my ex-girlfriend at the time. So don't get <laughs> she's going over. She stayed with me. And then I was going to work at Sainsbury's at that time. So I said, ah, oh, I'm going to work. I used to leave her in my room and stuff, in my flat with my best friend. You know, I'm comfortable. I was like, okay, cool. And then I was driving to work and then I forgot my wallet. I left my wallet on the counter. I'm not really thinking anything about it. And I said, ah, oh, when I was at work, I called. I said, ah, oh, babe, can you help me check if my wallet's there? And so I mm-hmm. said, she said, yeah, it's here. I said, okay, cool. When I come back in the morning from my shift, at least I'm happy that it's there. I don't need to start cancelling my card and everything like that. Cool. So, I've worked the night shift. Everything's all rowdy dudley I've, I've now driven back home. You always know when something's wrong. Like, the tension. <laughs> I just stepped through the building, like, to the flat, and I said, something feels wrong. <laughs> like, it feels, or, you know, you go through the flat, something feels wrong. Like, you could... You know, if you've been around somebody you know for a long time and something's off, you can always... Mm. You're just like, is everything okay? You ask. Mm. 
So I got back, got into the room. And I got into my whole flat, nice flat, blah, blah. I got in and she's been cold. No reason. It's just, well, for me at that time, it's no reason. I don't understand. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. been cold. And I'm just like, is everything okay? I've gone to sleep. I've woken up and then she let me have it. She was just like, oh. I said, don't speak to this person, X, Y, and Z. Why is her name on the receipt and these numbers there and everything? And I said, listen. I tried everyone. I no tried everyone yeah. and nobody picked up. Like, honestly, like, I tried. And when I mean tried, I don't mean I called once. I called multiple times because it was like, I'm stranded. What am I mm. going to do? I called everybody that I knew that time who I believed could help me. Because when you're in uni, then I'm open to people's situations not many people can assist you with something like something that. like that yeah. so they'll just be like go ask your parents and, yeah. that. and also think the what's that word where people believe you for something they already have this fixed oh like a presumption the presumption around me was that i have it i don't need to be asking other people for help because my car has enough you know you can yeah. do this but sometimes you see some situations whereby if a machine shows your car there's nothing you can do i'm calling them asking who can help me okay she's had a go She's proper had it. She's she's had a go at me, and I'm explaining it to her. Everything, cool. But she's had a go. She has really had a go. And obviously, I'm trying to calm her down. Like, listen, I just needed help X, Y, and Z. And then, when I'm trying to calm her down, she's got physical. And I said, Yo, you don't need to do that. I'm calm. I'm calm in this sense. I'm just like, I'm sorry. I've upset you. X, Y, Z. I, I, this has upset you, and I am sorry that I have done this. But I'm just telling you the reason why I've done this. Is I've exhausted all my options. She wasn't having it. She rude. Pushed me. X, Y, and Z. I didn't think anything of that because I just thought you're upset at the time. But then she started pushing more and more. Got a bit more aggravated. So the situation really upset her. And then, you know, she's trying to punch and kick me. She's letting out all her frustrations. I still didn't see that as a red flag. If I'm being honest, I still didn't see that as a red flag. I just thought you're upset because of what has happened. Understandably, you don't live next to me and stuff. I'm, I'm commuting X, Y, and Z. You're thinking, oh, I'm still talking to this person. X, Y, and Z. So, you know, let your frustrations out. Obviously, she's let her frustrations out more and more and more. So I've had to like restrain her. Just like I'm, I hug her, try to hold her. Like, you know, you're kicking, you know. You kick somebody so many times, it starts to hurt a little bit. <laughs> so... And then as I've restrained her, she's then spat on me. That was when I was just like, whoa, you just spat on me. And I it's think one of the she, lowest things you can do. Yeah, really, and yeah, I think yeah. at that moment, I froze. And she stopped too. She almost realised what yeah, she had she done. Yeah, she realised what she had done. And I just said, you just spat at me. You know, I'm restraining her to calm her down. I'm still trying to talk to her. I just stood up, went to my room, went back to sleep. Just went back to sleep, just forced myself to sleep and I can remember her sitting on the edge of the bed when I woke up had work again that night I packed all my stuff walked past her didn't say a word I didn't say a word just continued went to work I think she she was going anyway but I heard her conversation she was talking to her cousin on the phone and I could hear her cousin saying that yo you you've gone way out of line Oh, so she'd actually disclosed. Oh, I've spat at him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She, she, she gone. Wait, she's like, like, what? Are you? And I can, I can never forget that. Are you alright? Yeah, are that's you alright? Like, are you alright? So, she's packed up her stuff. She's left first before me. I'm going to work that night. But as she's going, because I haven't said anything to her, she's gone. I've gone after her. 
when I mean gone after her, like she's gone, she's gone, she's going out to London, I'm going back to work. And I could never forget yet, her car was parked at the side of the road while I was driving you know, on this we're going on the same road. She's then parked. I've seen her car, but I've just drove past. She messaged me, she called me, like she was apologetic, heavily apologetic with regards to that. But that was the first indication that I was like, wow. Yeah, you hit and punched me. Fair enough. You were upset. It's not right, but you were upset. Let's say if I give her the benefit of the doubt, you are upset. For spitting on me, no. There is nothing on heaven and earth that gives you the right to say, if somebody's upset you, you can be annoyed. If you're spitting at somebody, you're crossing the line. You're going way out of bounds. And that was the first instance of, I would say, it led a chain of events after that because... When she did that, I feel like my respect dropped drastically. So my tolerance for the things that she was doing, it was no longer high. It was just so low. It became normalised. It just, yeah. yeah, it was just, it was so low. I was not, any small thing, I'm not putting up with that. Because if you can spit on me, at that gone. time, the yeah. bar's gone. There is no, I don't know the extent of what you can do. Well, <laughs> The potential. <laughs> which... Yeah. She lived up, surpassing. Mm. She she passed her potential. So I would say I was vindicated in my thought process then, but that was the first, that Mm. was the first one. Let's talk then about the big incident. Yeah. And it's the one which effectively ended the relationship, Micah. You've obviously gone through the spitting incidents. There was a period then of coercive control when she was controlling your phone. Yeah. And all of those things, which Mm -hmm. kind of led from that petrol Mm -hmm. station story. Mm -hmm. So tell me about the big incident. You're at your mum's, you're at her mum's house, yes. I should say, sorry. Yeah. And things kicked off. Tell me what yeah. happened from there. So basically, like you said, after that incident with the spitting, there were just so many multiple episodes of her trying to control, told me to delete all my social media, told me to, it almost felt like how my parents were on me when I was younger. But you're in love. You just want to do what you believe is right by that person. We had broken up. We had tried to work, get things back together. We got back together. We had broken up. But I just knew that, you know, oh, I felt at that time that I can see past this. As much as crazy as everything was, I knew that she had the potential to do madness with the spitting and everything. And, you know, but I just, something just said, you know, maybe you can work past this. See what you can do. But the incident I will talk about in question, this happened in October or November 2014. Remember, it's clear as day. So I was at her mum's house and we were trying to work the relationship back together. Cancelled my shift in Sainsbury's to stay at her mum's house that weekend. I think her mum was away. Everything was going relatively fine, as you could say. It was just, there was no highs. There were no lows. We were just being somewhat civil and trying to make things work. You hungry? You want a drink? You know, just trying to make things Mm. work. Just your, your day to day. So we've now gone out. We've walked around Dawson, we're just chilling. And then what's happened was that I think she's I think she's just made a joke about something. And I took it on the chin. I was just like, yeah, that's funny, haha. Then I made a joke about something. In the same tone. In the yeah. same tone. It's not a topic that I went over yeah. it was just the same thing. And she took it horribly. Horribly. And I was just like, I don't understand. We, you've just joked. I've just joked. Relatively, what's like, the deal? Yeah, like, yeah. Why, you can't are you, give it. why are you taking yeah, yeah, yeah. it? So, if you can't take it, why would you give it? Like, mm. we're we're supposed to be trying to make things work. You're doing all of that, salt, and just got 
mouthy and stuff. And I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to keep quiet. I'm not going to say anything. So we walked back to our house and I didn't say a word. I just kept quiet. I think that was in my mind. I was just like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Maybe I should just cut my mm. losses. So cut your got, losses. Yeah, yeah, got back to the house. I've gone upstairs and I said, yeah, this so... How I felt at that time was just like, mm, maybe this isn't working at all. You know, try to be civil, try to be, you know, but you can't take it, but you can give it. I was just like, maybe it's just not supposed to be. And I just said, you know what? I'm just packing up my stuff now. I'm just going to go. I don't want it to boil into an argument than it is currently at that time. It feels like it's a proper space for me to just say. A natural conclusion. Natural conclusion. Mm. That's how I saw it at that time. There had been no bad words said after that when she said the joke and I've said the joke and all I've just said is that we've just laughed about the same thing why are you taking it so seriously Mm. you know after that point I just thought natural conclusion you know where it just dawns on you that okay cool we're at the end of the road it's this is not it's not that so I haven't said anything I've got back got upstairs to pack my stuff said where are you going and I said I'm going home so oh we need to talk about it no we, we don't need to talk about this so many events have happened and this is just the combination of it let me just go home I said no you're not going home I said yeah I'm, I'm going home I've walked down the stairs I've packed my stuff gone down to the bottom of the stairs trying to put on my shoes she's taken my two phones out of my hand I had one blackberry one apple phone I said let me put on my shoes I'm going home she said you're not going home you're not going home and I took my stuff started taking my clothes out of the bags as you see in movies where somebody's trying to pack yeah. clothes in she's taking it out of the bag I said let me just go home like, dashing really, it out the window dashing <laughs> it out. so I already knew what was co- at this point I said something's coming and because I was calm I was able to and you're a uh, big guy as well yeah so. yeah calm and I was calmer at that point mm. in time I said oh, something's coming I need to get out of it. It went from, let me just leave and go home to, I need to get out of it. I don't want to the be part of... The spidey senses now Yeah, tingling. it's yeah, tingling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. She's throwing my stuff out. She's throwing my phone uh, on the floor. The Blackberry bowl wasn't too strong at that time. So I know when you throw it <laughs> on the floor, the back comes off, the battery comes out <laughs> and everything. She's throwing it off. I said, okay, cool. You know what? Take the phones, take the shoes. I just need to go. She'd gone to run and stood in front of the door. I said, yo, let me go. I need to go. She's like, you're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. You need to talk about it. I said, we're not talking about anything. It's happened. We're cool. Let's just end it here. Try to open the door. She slapped my hand away. You know when you're playing with a child and you want to open the door, but they stand in front of the door Mm. and put their arms up to the side to block you from going. But just imagine the times 100 where somebody's really serious. They're not allowing you to go. And I said, no, you need to let me go. You're stopping me from going out. This is ridiculous. I need to go. Stop me from going. I said, listen, if you don't let me go, I'm going to pull you away from the door. Literally, I'm going to pull you away from the door because you're getting on my nerves now. You're being unreasonable. You've thrown up, you've broken up my phone. You've taken my shoe. You've thrown up my clothes. Okay, but you can't stop me from going home. Mm-hmm. I want to go home. I want to leave your house. I want to go to my house. I should be allowed to do that. He said, no, nah, no, nah. she's getting hyped. She's getting angry. So I've sat on her. So she's standing in front of the door. So I put my... Like I've leaned on mm. her to move her away from the door and I've opened the door. As I've opened the door, she's slapping the back of my head saying, you're not going. She's punching my back. You're not going. She's grabbed my T-shirt. The T-shirt has torn a little bit from the neck. So if somebody grabs you, they've torn it from the neck. That was the first tear of the T-shirt. Luckily enough, I've managed to get out of the door of her house. But for example, when you leave the door of her house, 
her house is behind a block of flats, mm-hmm. directly behind. So you still need to walk through the flats. So if mm. you go through the front door, the back door of the block of flats, you still need to press the button, beep, yep. open the door, go through the go front door. Stairs, do another yeah, stair, yeah, beep, yeah. and yeah. then you're out on the main road. Mm-hmm. So I've gone through the first set of doors. I'm walking towards the flat now. As I'm walking towards the flat, she's punching me. She's punching me. She's scratching me. She's still tugging on my T-shirt, but I'm holding, I'm using my hand to like hold her back as I'm, walking towards the you door. You made the sacrifice of your arm. Yeah, right, right arm, you're, right, taking, right, the, you're, you're taking the pain that. today, yeah. Uh, so I've managed to press the button where it says exit, you know, those buildings. The door's open. Mm-hmm. I walk through the door. She's still getting it onto me. She's torn my shirt. Are you just blocking out what she's saying Yes, I'm blocking okay. out. I can't hear anything because I just need to get out. Your focus of, is fully on. Yep, get out of the yep. building. So she's torn my shirt a little bit from the first door, just to paint the picture. I've gone through the first door, through the front door. Now I'm going towards the back door of the building. She's still punching and kicking me. She then torn my shirt more. So it's now from the neck, it's now gone like almost halfway. It's proper torn now. Mm. It's being held on by my, my left shoulder. <laughs> it's being held on by my left shoulder. So she's got there, she's punched, she's punched me more, she's punched me more, punched me more, gone through the door. Cool. So we're now on the ground floor of the flats, you know, the corridor where everything echoes. And how long has this lasted so far? Like this has lasted for like five or ten five minutes. Five minutes, so ten minutes. So, gotten through now, I've gotten there. I've now stopped to catch a bit of my breath, sat on the stairs. She's now coming to stand, stand, um, stand in front of me. She said, you're not going home today. You're not going home today. I said, I'm going home. I said, there's nothing that you can say or could do to stop me. And we need to talk about this. Said, there's nothing to talk about. When we could have spoken about it, you had already made up your, you can't now, because I want to leave, then start saying... There's nothing to speak. And I would say, because everybody always says with domestic violence, there might be always be two sides. You know, I always like to give the benefit of the doubt. When you've listened to or you heard about the series of events that have happened, the point I'm at now is that I don't owe you the benefit of the doubt to stay and listen 100%. to you. 100%. I don't owe you. Before, or if something more mild had happened, where in some relationships, something mild has happened, you could be like, okay, cool, I'm going to listen to you. But when it's a series of serious events that have happened... I don't owe you that. That's why I'm blocking that. I just want to go home. Mm. I don't owe you to sit down and talk to you. But this time I'm sitting down and I'm trying to catch my breath on the mm. stairs. So I'm trying to catch my breath on the stairs. She said, you're not going anywhere. You need to talk to me. She then put her finger on my forehead like, you need to talk to me. You need to talk to me. Like pushing me. I, said, I don't need to talk to you. So after I've taken a deep breath, I'm now trying to go through the final door, mm. which gets me to the main road. To my Pokemon. This is yeah. like you're fighting the elites yeah, now. Yeah, like. to, to the main road. She's like, oh, you're not coming. This is where she's now fighting me. So it's not different of where I'm, I'm using my hand to hold her away. She's now full on fighting me. She swung, she's punched my head, everything. I've now held her. Like, I have now aggressively restrained her. Like, not restraining her. I've now aggressively restrained her. Like, you crazy. Like, mm. you're trying to put... I said, no, is not it, having... Did you fear for your life at any point at this time? I didn't fear for my life, but I just didn't know what could because as i'm the unpredictable level's gone nuts now yeah she's gone nuts and then also i was also very conscious of the fact that like as i said this in jackie she's light-skinned i can't put my hand on you even even to restrain you i'm thinking about like you could bruise right if you bruise and i'm bigger than you first thing they're gonna say is you look at me look at you like oh you hit her I can't take that chance. You're thinking I'm finished. If yes, I leave which is why her, yeah. when I was restraining, I tried not to. I was restraining her from her house before I got to do I was restraining her in ways whereby I was just using my mask to lean on mm. her to get to move her out of the way. Wasn't trying to use my hands or anything, or even to 
touch or scratch her because anything like that, I was thinking to myself, I'm already a black man in this side. I don't want anything or I don't want the perception. There's an irony that you're the victim trying to do the least harm by fighting back and she's doing the most. Exactly. So when she's now punching and kicking me this time, I've now aggressively tried to restrain her. After aggressively trying to restrain her, I've then sat on her. Like Mm -hmm. literally I've sat on her. I've restrained her to the floor and I've sat on her. And I said, I'm going going towards the door. I'm going towards the door. You can't stop me. Can't stop me. Can't stop me. So I'm sitting, I'm sitting and I'm sitting and then I finally just pushed off, running to the door. She's kicked, pulled. My shirt has fully come off this. As Mm -hmm. I'm going through the she's finally tugged it off. She scratched me. This is where my skin broke. I was just bleeding, like bleeding. She's got nails and everything. I've now finally made it outside the building of the flat. When I'm outside the building of the flat, I have no shirt on. No phone. Have, no, no phones. No, no wallet, phones. No wallet. No, money. no shirt. No money. I have one pair of my Harachis on, and with those not are, cheap. No, no, <laughs> with those Zara jogging bottoms. You know those. those you know <laughs> Zara, those, Zara jogging bottoms. Yeah, those Zara jogging bottoms. Are you a house girl from 2015? Nah, nah, but that was the style. <laughs> that, that was the style, bro. So I've now come out. I've got one leg on. One leg's a sock on. I've come outside. I've then sat outside, sat on the step. How are you feeling in this moment? Just I'm relieved. Just exhausted, relieved. Yeah. Then, then the police show up. Then the police show up. She what, calls what the police. The, she called the police, yes. right? For the listeners. So yeah. she called the police and said, oh, I've been assaulted. Just the audacity to do I've that. I've been assaulted. Honestly. He's sitting outside. Who assaults somebody and sits on the pavement outside? Do you really think, yeah, that I sat outside? If I knew... I'd have ran away. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I literally, I don't have anything on me. I couldn't even take the train. I've got no clothes. I've got, like, I'm bare-chested. My box is dead. People looking at me like I'm crazy. Mm. I'm only in Hackney for that matter. So, you know. <laughs> Feeling opportunity yeah. as well. <laughs> so, called the police, but I just sat there. I just said, you calling the police? I said, cool, I'm going to wait. When the police came, she was fully clothed and everything. I was half-naked, bleeding. She was like, oh, yeah, he's assaulted me. i never forget how the police looked. They looked at her. They looked at me. And they said, he's assaulted you. She's like, yeah, he's assaulted me. Okay. They've done their due diligence. They've arrested both of us. I don't think that she was aware that she was going to be arrested. It's mad that you were arrested as well, though. But they have to take into consideration what she has said. You could clearly see that something had gone on. Right. You can see somebody's bleeding. Somebody's half naked. Somebody else is looking fine. Something has gone on. You've called the police. So they're just looking at all eventualities. They're they looking think, at all oh, eventualities. You could have assaulted her and then she you, assaulted you back. Yeah, you could have done. Something like that. Who exactly, knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So they've put me in cuffs. They've put me in cuffs. And they've put me in the back of the police car. This was at 8 p.m. I'll never forget the time. 8 p.m. on the dot. They've arrested her too. And they've taken me to the police station. At this point, I was already doing my training to be a police constable. So when we got to the police station, the first thing I said is that, oh, could you notify my, whoever's looking after me, my sergeant or something, who's in charge of the train that I've been arrested, X, Y, and Z. Funny enough, when they searched for my name, they were surprised almost that you're a black man and you're not showing in our system. Because I've never been in trouble before. Never been in trouble. As close as I've been to trouble, like being expelled when I went mm. to, I've never been no in. No official trouble. No official yeah. trouble yeah. like that. They <laughs> say I've been dodging and weaving, but. So the unofficial. Yeah, yeah, unofficial. So. They put my name, it's almost like they're surprised that my name didn't come up. And then when they f- found my, you know, details, like, you live in Essex. 
what are you doing here? So I can see my girlfriend and everything. So they put me in like a holding cell. Not like a holding cell. They put me in a holding cell. The detention thing. With that foamy, little foam. What you used to roll on in pee mm. when you were younger. And a slab. And they give you that sheet about suicide and whatnot. And before we get to that, they've booked me in. But when they've booked her in, so I could see her in the room. They're taking, they're swabbing her blood and everything. They're swabbing her, the mouth mm-hmm. and everything. Checking for scars and everything. They've removed the string from my Zara jogging buttons and everything. That's a stress to get that That's back. stress. Yeah. So, cool. Seeing in the cell now, I sat in the cell for a long time. I put my head in and I was just like, how can you be here? What's going on? So, they said they're going to interview me. But before they interviewed me, they said, oh, we're going to let you go because she's actually just said the truth. But I think that she didn't know the severity of what was going to happen. I feel like she felt that she would call the police, I'd be arrested, she wouldn't be arrested, and I would have to deal with it. But I feel that I know for a fact that her being arrested changed the outcome. Mm. So she had to say that, okay, cool, this is what has happened, X, Y, and Z. When they interviewed me, I said, she punched me, she did everything. She, they said, who instigated? I said, it was her. Like, I'm fighting for my life here. Look at me. Mm. Like, look at me. I'm bleeding. Every- the what evidence would- is here. Yeah, yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> can you not see? Look at Just like, yeah, she said everything. Okay, cool. We're going to put you... So they put me back in the cell after that. Court and, and I said to them, that, oh, before you release me, can you get my phones and everything from her? And some of my money as well, because I need to go home. So they released me now. This is about 4 a.m., six hours. Six hours. The process is incredibly long. And I said, oh, before you release me, can you release me before you release her? So that if I see her, yeah, I'm going to wait outside. I'm going to be like, yo, I'm going to go get... Can I get my stuff so I can go home? I know they released her first. And they released her, released her for a considerable amount of time before they released me. So when I've got out of the session, they gave me my phones. And I said, where's everything else? They said, that oh, we didn't see anything. I said, okay, well, that's fine. So I've texted her. I said, you have my stuff. I called her. Called her, called her, called her. Didn't pick up. So you got my stuff. Nothing. So I've walked from the Dalston police station back to her house. Oh, knocked, that's brave. Yes, knocked on the door. I need you to get home. You got my yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Knocked it. Nobody's answering. Nobody's answering. And remember, I didn't knock on her door because I have to buzz through to go through the flats before I can get then to get her to, yeah, front yeah, door. Yeah. So I'm buzzing the flat. Mm. See, no, nobody's opening up. It's 2, 3 a.m. in the morning. Understandable. I remember I then saw her car. I wanted to brick her car. I really wanted to brick her because I said, you've got my peas and everything. Let me go. So I wanted to brick her car. I circled her car like three or four times. I kid you not. I wanted to brick her car really i said i I want to scratch your car i want to because you've got i can't go home now so i said you know i'm going to try my luck walked all the way to dawson train station and i spoke to the guy there i said listen i haven't got any money on me or anything i've got my phone my phone one of my phones is died and my blackberry was on 20 something percent he said okay cool i'm gonna let you on i'm on the train i'm looking like a homeless person i'm looking hella bummy i've messaged my mom and i said listen monkey i'm keeping me up in the station she picked me up from the station now. I did not tell my mum what happened. Till today, my mum doesn't know the details of what, ha- of what happened. She just knows that we're not together. And I never spoke to her again after that day. Didn't call her, didn't text her. I think she sent me back some of my money the following day. Some? Yeah, it wasn't really a... Not all. Deal. Yeah, not really a big deal by then. Never called her, never texted her. Never spoke to her again after that day. There's a lot of guys who I've seen in the news... Are murdered in domestic abuse cases in the worst extreme 
by their female partners. Do you feel, in a way, I know this might sound like an inappropriate question, but do you almost feel lucky? I feel lucky. I feel lucky, but I also feel lucky in the sense, the reason why I feel lucky is in the sense that you could call it the spirit of discernment. I think I knew pretty early that if I had continued, because when you see a lot of domestic use cases, it's because of love makes people stay. And when you stay, what happens is that the potential for things to be worse increases. A lot of it you can feel of, do you have the self-worth to leave? Remember, I had been with this girl for four years at that time. Mm. A lot of your life is intertwined. Yes, a lot of my relationship, a lot of experiences. So it's so easy to sit back and say, you miss her, you want to go back. It's before, you know, and that's what happens. You go back, you end up, and then what happens is you get into another case. You get into another case. You get until you get to the point where whereby you say somebody can be murdered or something serious can happen. Is do you have the courage to actually sever that bond? And I feel like the easiest thing for me at that time to sever that bond was just to delete everything and just not pretend like nothing happened, but acknowledge this has happened and I need to. When I mean we, I'm I'm talking to my thoughts and myself at that time. Mm. Like we we go again. We start again from the very beginning and we do our best to not communicate. Because initially it was hard. It was so hard mm. because like, I was like, oh, I'm going to call her. The restraint you needed, yeah. I had to do so much restraint. So much restraint. And funny enough, in March 2015, I remember I had like a severe relapse. Like I, you know, I missed her so much. I Which start. might sound strange for listeners who yeah, just like, to listen to what you just said. I miss her so much. Because I'm not thinking about, at that time, I'm not thinking about the bad. I'm just thinking, oh my God. I miss... The good. The good at that time. <laughs> we I know miss, what the good yeah, is. Yeah, I miss, I miss the good at that time. And I had a severe... I'll never forget, the relapse was bad. I like, And I wrote a letter, like I was writing to her, but I left it on my phone. But I wrote out how I felt at that time. I never sent it to her. Good. But... You needed to get it out. I needed to yeah, get yeah, it yeah. out. I needed to get it... I needed to just relieve just myself. It. So I just sat there and I said, ah, oh, how could you... Because like, remember, after that event happened, that I got arrested and everything... I've never spoken to it again. So normally you would try and mess it up and say, oh, how could you do this? Mm. How could you do it? I never had that. What do they call it? The that, urge or? They, people said the closure. Oh, you say. had the closure on, well, on the, that yeah, situation. Yeah. It was just like, okay, you've done this crazy thing. I've said, okay, cool. I'm not speaking to you again. So I've gone like that for so long. Not only till my, I remember that husband. Because there was yeah, no, the, this relationship is over. There was none of that. So it was in March, I've been to a house party. I've had a lot of alcohol. And I have just become overwhelmed with emotion. Mm. I had to write it down. I needed to express. I remember I did. I didn't tell. I hadn't told anybody about mm-hmm. what had happened. So it was just. I needed to. Exp- I wrote so much down. It's almost like I felt better. Just really like when I'm writing it down, I'm saying, "How could you f in hell, hell, hell?" But yeah, that was the end of that. You're quite a big guy, mate. You go to the gym and. Clearly, that saved you in a lot of ways and it allowed you to escape that situation. But I also imagine it's hindered you, ironically, in the stigma of it because people might not believe you when you share your story or they think, well, why didn't you stop her? And and also, I just want to talk about this stigma that people would say to you when you disclosed that you broke up and you disclosed the story. They said, how could you allow that to happen? You know, people wouldn't say that to a woman who'd been domestically abused. Why would they say it to a man? You don't hit women. Can't lay your finger on women. 
I even feel that almost you you're almost guilty for if you're even being hit by a woman, you have the masculinity to stay. Angle. You just yeah. have to stay and take it. You can't defend yourself. That was my mindset then. Similar, it still is my mindset now. But I would not take it if a, if I don't touch you. Have no right to lay your hands on me. But at that point in time, I'm just thinking you can't touch a woman. You can't do anything. You just got to sit and take it. For the better part of what potentially could happen. I was going to say, it could, does it come back to the whole biologically, most men stereotypically are yes. stronger than most women? Yes. Obviously, there are exceptions and we understand that. <laughs> I'll have to always disclose, disclose <laughs> that before I get cancelled. But you probably knew in your head that you even fighting back 10% of what you could would I be mean, more than 150% of what she could do. Physically, it, it, I mean. Sorry. It could be the foundation of a potential case. Catching a case, yeah. It is the breakdown of but you one slip one slip mm. and i couldn't afford that you understand what i'm saying i just i just couldn't afford that i just like you know what just take it and just see deal what, with the consequences deal with on the consequences yeah. Yeah. which is mad which is a mad it's thing to crazy. say because i can imagine that you can imagine the scuffle that's going on i always harken back to this she's like if and she's not the you can i feel like when you're light-skinned you can be like of a certain shade like you can be a bit lighter than if you're, when you're mixed race, you could be a... No, sorry, not mixed race. When you're light-skinned, mm-hmm. you could be of a lighter complexion, or you could be of a darker complexion. When there's a spectrum. Yeah, there's a spectrum. Mm. She's on the spectrum whereby if I grab her arm... It's going to show. It's going to show red marks. It's going to Obviously, the red marks will fade, mm-hmm. but it will show. So I can't... Imagine me, like, mistakenly punching her. Or, like... She's attacked you. Or, yeah, like, or I'm trying even, to... Even if you've gone... Oh, I won't punch her. I'll backhand her. Because, I'll backhand yeah, her yeah, or, to I'll punch, or I'll yeah. punch her arm. Yeah. Like, she's holding me to punch her arm. It's going to show. How do I defend that? Because that will be a bruise. Mm. That's ABH. That's assault. That, that's that's assault. Yeah. Where do I fall on? Who's going to believe me? Like mm. you said, the stereotype, the size. Who's going to believe me? The odds are not in my favour. Mm. And this is despite the fact that we both know, the Office of National Statistics say, that at least a third of domestic abuse victim survivors are men. And the figure could actually be closer to 50-50 yeah. because of the mass underreporting. And you speak to most people, and from my experience anyway, anecdotally they'll say, I know a friend of a friend who's he's a man been, yeah, who's been domestically been, abused. Yeah. And they'll say it's far more, obviously there are exceptions, but it's far more coercive control Yes. than physical. Than physical. Ah, oh, look, ah. Oh. Although not, yours was I, coercive control and physical, I, it's normally more coercive control. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna. What's that thing where you? <laughs> we'll just get into it. Yeah. And I don't want to put a stereotype <laughs> against it, but a female or a woman, yeah, when they coercive control, mm. I do think men have the capability of doing it. Of course, but I don't think our tongues are as sharp. I don't know. I, I think maybe we for personal coerci- experience, we probably could coercive control physically. Physically, yeah. yes. Yeah. As somebody who's just using words, I wouldn't say a man doesn't. I think he can. I mean, if he's telling it's probably women, in different ways. But yeah. it's a different way. Yeah. Like they can have like a real stronghold on you, where you're just like you're second guessing everything mm. about yourself. Whereas as a man, well, a lot of domestic violence cases that I've been aware of is a man punching a woman because he believes that using physical control because you are. Mm. biologically stronger you are biological words can be you know i wouldn't say words a woman has a stronger use of words than a man mm. but words are words you can train your like you can train your but biologically mm. physically a man can dominate 
you can punch, you can use your weight pretty you can, easily as well. Pretty I would easily, say, yeah, yeah. you know, as a baseline. Mm. So that is what, in most cases, men can do. A lot of weak men can a do lot that of as weak, well. A lot of weak, and a lot of weak men can do, can do just, that. Just, 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 which is why weak men mentally act to, to do to have the capacity to abuse, and weak men physically. Physically, yeah. so that stereotype is there, which is why it is so difficult to say, oh you're bigger than her or something like that. I just felt that at that time, just take it and just work backwards from that. Obviously, mm. maybe some people might not have the, some people are not fortunate enough to tell their side of the story. They might have passed away because they might be in that position whereby I can't touch her, I mm. can't do anything. But the woman can go on and on and before you know it, might have passed away from one action or another. Mm. It's such a tricky... Yeah, it's a tricky situation. Let me ask you an interesting question then because I think a lot of male victim survivors, and this is obviously speculation, I feel like they would feel more internalised stigma about the reaction that other men would have. Yes. Or they would say, other men would say to them, don't be a X word that I will mm-hmm. not say because otherwise I have to put an explicit mark <laughs> on this podcast. Or they will abuse them or they'll banter them about it, right? Mm-hmm. However, who have you faced more stigma in the sexes, men or women, when you have actually disclosed it? Who's believed you more on balance? Who's been more empathetic? And that's a tricky I'm, question to ask. I, you know what's funny? I have a feeling that women have been more empathetic. Mm-hmm. My boys don't really know the details of this situation. Are they more just shocked rather than anything? I just don't think, I just don't know. I, I don't feel I could have told them. Yeah. I just don't feel that I could, could they would just be looking at me like, did this happen? And funny enough is that the ones that I have spoken to about it close to me, similar things have happened to I was going to say, are they going to now coming out with, oh yeah, and then they realise, oh, that thing I went through, that might have actually been coercive control, that might have been abuse, but I just didn't even recognise it. Because it's almost like, it's almost like I feel that we, we have to just, we just put up with with it. it. Yeah. I almost feel like it's part of what, a man has to go through and it's so wrong to look mm. at that but I just feel that's that's where we still are now mm. with regards to it so let's reflect then on this journey so I want to first of all build on what you've just said there a lot of these men might not have the emotional intelligence they might not have the awareness they might not have the education about the subject of domestic abuse to spot the signs they might be in one themselves they might mm. be in a domestically abusive relationship so how do they go about that? And what advice would you give any man who's listening to this pod from your experience? I would look at it from two ways. Before you get into a relationship, any relationship, if you are aware of yourself and how you feel, if you have total confidence in yourself and how you feel, I feel it's slightly easier mm. to spot the signs when you have a, a kind of self-conviction, self-love, for yourself I think it's easier if you're in a relationship already it's difficult but it's still possible to spot the signs because when you're in a relationship you're doing things for the other person especially when you don't get into a relationship from a place of self-love mm. when you're getting into a relationship for the for, from a process of the ash <laughs> no but just the ash you're getting into the relationship for you don't feel that there's worth in you. You're, you're, you're getting it from them. From them. Mm. So it's so, in that sense, it's very hard. You have to almost, how can I, 
you 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 need to, to, you've got to build yourself. You've got to build yourself because, because you're, you're trying to them. build yourself based off them. And if something, exactly, yeah. And I feel that that's where it can happen a lot for some, especially men who are already in a relationship. Mm. Obviously, if I'm talking when you're not in a relationship and you have that self love, it's gonna be very easy for you to spot the signs of mm-hmm. domestic because you'll be like, "Nah, I'm not having this. I'm not yeah. having something." You're, you're secure. You're secure. You're trying, to, you're trying to attack my security. Yeah, yeah, you're attacking, and, I, and yeah. that's not for me. Mm. So it's easy for you to walk away, but especially people who might have got into relationships earlier in their life where they haven't built that secureness within themselves. And I would also add to this, if this is from an evolutionary psychological perspective, safe, we all know that we've both got cases of this. Mm-hmm. There are men who get into relationships with girls early on in their life, say uni or school, and the girl's mate value might be a bit higher than theirs yeah. or might be a lot higher yes, than theirs. Yes, And yes. they don't want to let it go yes. because they're like, I don't think I'm going to get yeah, another yeah, girl like exactly, this again. Exactly. And if that goes sour, oh boy. Exactly. So they, they try and hold on. I, I feel like what's the most important thing you could do within your, within uh, it's going to be really hard, especially for people who are in relationships, be able to express mm. how you feel. Might not necessarily, not necessarily be to the partner, to someone, a new to arbiter. someone, yeah. just if you can fight, just be like, yo, this is how I feel because they will be feeling a, p- a particular type of way. They might have hidden it just to get along with their day to day. Even if it's with your parents or anything, I've spoken to mind as well. Mm-hmm. I've gone to lengths, therapy, whatever. just see if you can speak to somebody and say, this is what I'm going through. Is this right? You're allowed to question how you feel. You're allowed to question what you're going through because some people, they, they might... They might feel it's like it's domestic violence or abuse. You know, it might not be. Some people, they might undermine it, but they're actually in a very domestic abuse. So you you have to be able to explore the space that you're in, mm. have the ability to ask questions. And it's only through there that you can get answers. It's not only till I started speaking about it that I knew how many people that it was affecting. Mm. And then people will be able to give me advice. And then people realise, oh, it's one in three, it's at least. One, at it, could least. Be, uh, it could be one in two. It could be one in two. And their minds just go... Poof. And I feel that as you get older, I'm, well, thank God for our generation, I feel like more people, women are starting to speak out and to realise there's still so much work to do. There's still so much out there. So I mean, look at Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. Look yeah, at the coverage so, around. That's a whole different podcast, but I'm so just saying. That's a, it's a yeah. whole different... But and another important thing that I need people to see is that you can be in a domestic abusive relationship where there might be faults on both parties. Mm-hmm. Nobody's perfect. You might have done something, but the reaction may be way overblown to what you have done. But you could be thinking, oh, I've done this. so I deserve it. I deserve it. That is a very dangerous place. Because victim blaming. Victim blaming. Every action has a reaction. Yes. But if it's not it's equal... It's the proportion. It's the proportion. So you might do something... And something might come through guns blazing. Oh yeah, I, I did something. That's what I deserve. No, you need to be able to question that. You understand what I'm saying? Come to a point where this is your okay. If I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. Fair enough. But your reaction does not line up with it. You're abusing the power in that yep. relationship. And what happens is that if you don't question it early on, what's going to happen is that person's going to feel comfortable. And once you feel comfortable, you know what happens. You push the boundaries. Until, God forbid, like something bad happens. So mm. be, be able to question. Being secure in yourself is important. Being able to question whichever situation you're in. Yeah. Be able to question that. And then as a final question, what has this wider mental health journey taught you about yourself, Micah? And 
if you could go back to the Michael who was going to Nigeria for being a naughty boy for boarding school or <laughs> the reformed Micah coming back to yeah. the UK or the Micah in the grips of that violent, controlling, abusive relationship. What would you say to him knowing what you do now? Open your mouth and speak. As many people as possible, people are there to help. I've internalised many things. Even the story that I told you today, remember I said that when I was going back to that place, I just kept quiet. I could have spoken there and then. Probably might have a same outcome, like, okay, cool, we're not doing this anymore. But there and then I could have said, you know what, I'm not doing this. Let me just go get my stuff and go back. I'm already outside, I'm in the public. Me keeping quiet up until I got into her house. You know, keeping quiet doesn't solve anything. Being able to speak, even when I was younger, if you're feeling a certain type of way, you should be able to learn to express yourself. When I mean express yourself, still within the confines of, you know, in a decent way, just being able to talk. Don't internalise anything because it, it doesn't help. That's what I'll tell my younger self. You're feeling a certain type of way, speak. Especially some of my relation, a lot of my relationships throughout my life, whether it's parents, friends, sometimes when I'm annoyed, irritated, just keep quiet. I feel like keep quiet will just solve it. It'll just go away. It doesn't. You open your mouth. This is how I feel. I don't like this. Being able to express yourself and then you can get solutions from that. We've talked all about your mental health journey, mate. I want to briefly talk about something which I came across through exploring your profile and doing my research, which is your food blog, yes. Feast with Firmino. It just looks like such an enjoyable side hustle for you. So tell me about it. And as well as that, was it a way of bringing back your identity when you were told by your ex to delete all those social media accounts in that relationship? I mean, to the second point that you made, not so much, but it was a big thing with regards to, because I mean, I've only been doing it since probably about 2018, but... It's four years though, it's still, still a while. Yeah, I like food. However, I feel like I use food for the wrong things. I used to be a big comfort eater. <laughs> huge comfort eater. Especially when something goes, when I'm irritated... Oh, go, go, I eat, know what you mean, go, bro. Go. When I'm sad, eat. Happy, eat. It's just eat 24-7. And it's just more come from a place of where it's a means of me expressing myself. I feel happy when I do it. I feel happy when I go and eat. I feel happy when... But I'm trying to... As I'm eating, it's all for positive reasons now. Whether it's a celebration of life. I don't, less, I don't even mean birthdays. Just... It's a good day today. Sun's out. Grab a pasta. Mm -hmm. Grab a salad. <laughs> grab a burger, <laughs> grab a burger, grab a, you know, just to enjoy it. It brings out the creative juices within myself. Mm -hmm. I'm just seeing how I can capture different elements, different pictures, you know, different reel, make different videos, you know. And how does that bring the best out of me? It's one of the few things that I do without thinking about a reward. I just in literally enjoy doing it. Sometimes... Yeah, do I wish I had more likes or more followers? Yeah, you you know. You still got a lot, bro. You got yeah, more than that. <laughs> it's, it's human nature. You just be like, okay. But I then sit back and realise, this is not what I got into it for. Mm. I got this far because I literally just enjoy it. So does it ever feel like work then? Well, you have to go to a restaurant, but then you've got to do the real, then you've got to do the thing, you've got to talk to the owner maybe. And... So, sometimes it, sometimes it, it felt like work when I was putting myself in competition. Right. I can imagine Perfect. there's a lot of food bloggers. So, yeah, a lot of yeah. food bloggers and like they will go to a, for example, they would go to somewhere, their pictures are not as good as mine. Like I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> when I mean not as good, I'm talking for, even from the naked eye. Right. It's not like they would have way more 
likes and stuff. And I'm just like, this does not look as good. How does that work? Like, it doesn't, but. I feel like that way with other podcasts. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just, <laughs> I do better conversations than you. It's just, it's just not as good and everything. But I didn't always realise why I got into it. Sometimes, you know, I, I try and put myself on a timetable because I am using a platform whereby you are rewarded on your frequency and things mm. like that. But before I was doing it, it was almost choking me up, like overbearing. Like it started becoming at work. Just like, no, when you do it, find an hour or so every other time you can you can upload you know and just just, just let it flow just yeah. let it flow yeah. because it's funny enough is when it's flowed I felt that funny enough I get rewarded I was going to say it. you get the most out of it I get the yeah. rewarded yeah. and sometimes you know and then what it is is that now it's not just the posting sometimes like especially recently I haven't enjoyed it for posting pictures mm-hmm. for real I just put it on my story I like recording it on my story mm. because the story sometimes feels more natural. Mm. I'm about my day, take a picture. Whereas when you're making a post, gotta take a picture, I gotta do the caption and stuff. The edit, yeah. But a lot recently on my story, I'll just record on my story. I'm here, I'm eating this food, I'm enjoying it. My TikTok is just filled with food pages, just filled with recipes, people eating stuff. How can I make this? Oh my God, I wanna try this food. This looks nice, I wanna go here. Simply that. I, it's just something that I just really enjoy. You spoke there about the, the comparison culture and being amongst all those other food bloggers. How do you then detach yourself from that dopamine hit when you get the likes? Or you have you just found a good way of managing the dopamine hit now? Whereas now, it's just when I post, I just switch it off. Okay. Simple just, as that. Just switch it off. I just post, tag myself, and switch it off. Probably check it four or five hours later, mm-hmm. an hour later. Be like, oh, okay, this is what I got. And then what has it given you? And as well as that, what has it given other people? What has been the feedback that you've got? Oh, it? immense feedback. I've got an immense feedback. I've got recommendations from so many people coming to meet me. People have asked me to plan uh, a date for them or where you could go. Is there some cash? Are you getting some cash for that now soon? Or? <laughs> some, some place, some, some people, I've had like um, PR events, Boom Battle Bar, People that have gone to Malta DLT, they've used my guide, like, oh, they've given me a shout-out, like, oh, go and check out Feast with Fenimo. Mm. It's just the joy that I can bring, because what I think is that, like most things, I don't know everything. When I'm looking, when I want to go to a country, I'm going to search somebody that's been there. I'm going to get their advice, if I if they're of good recommendation. And how I feel is that I could just be like a tool, whereby I'm enjoying what I'm doing, but if somebody comes to me and says, oh, Michael, where can I go? I'll give you advice. Does that make you feel go. good? It makes me feel good. Yeah. Especially when I know that I'm never, like, I'm not a last choice. A lot of people are coming to me in my circle. Mm. First choice. Michael, I need something for a date night. I need something for a family or friends. I need something for a party. Where can I go? I'll give it to them. Oh, thank you very much. I enjoy that because they're happy. You're like and, a black cabbie for restaurants. Yeah, so you've got like, the knowledge. <laughs> and then when they post, especially when they post, and then they don't even necessarily have to tag me. When they post and I see them, they're having a good time. Yeah, okay. You know, I feel good. Do you almost get a sense that, say, for example, you know, DJs always talk about how much joy they get from making other people happy. That's like one of the main things they do. Do you almost see like a comparison now when you've got an insight into some of the joy that they get? They're getting paid for it, though. Well, they're getting paid for it. Yeah, I know that. They're getting paid by the set. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I just find find joy with it. I I don't need to... And you know the funny thing? I haven't thought about monetizing it or what I do. 
just genuinely do it because I like it. I literally just like it. I don't say, oh, do you want to collab? Do you want to pay me? It becomes transactional, it's not transactional. It? Yeah, yeah. I literally, and I've gotten so far already without monetizing it. Where will I start to now? Mm. Just continue enjoying it and see where it, see where it can go. Our final topic of conversation, Mike, and it's one I try and have with all of my special guests. It is a general natter and a chat about our mental health. So firstly, bro, how is your mental health? It's good. Yeah? It's good right now. It could be better. I'm under, I wouldn't say, life has its pressures. Mm -hmm. As you know, being a homeowner, Mm -hmm. paying bills and things like that. But I've actually just taken it upon myself to just enjoy when I can, how I can. And if you felt comfortable saying, what mental health issues or conditions, if any, do you live with and how do they affect you in your day-to-day life? Oh, I've had depression and I've had anxiety. What form of anxiety? General anxiety? Health anxiety? Yeah, social anxiety? Just, just general anxiety. Like, oh, it's almost like my chest gets tight and I almost feel like that anxiety is not social. It's pressures of life. I'm thinking, oh, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Then all of a sudden, I get so overwhelmed. My mm. chest starts feeling tight. I feel looking at, and then I'll you've eat. become more aware of yourself, more very aware. hyper aware. Yes, yeah. so I'm just like, and I say, like, oh, I need a break. I need a break. I need a break because life isn't easy. It's, it's. I think it's so great that I have like a great support network around me, being able to express myself, especially like in my faith as well. I was gonna say, how does that help you? That must be really does, powerful. Yeah, just just the ability to. Just to pray. Even when I pray, it's, it's like I believe someone's listening to me. Mm-hmm. I believe this is, but just to speak about everything that's in my heart, just to actually just just to say vent. it, just yeah. to say it out. Because when it's so internalized within me, it's not good. So like, I'll be so tired when I sleep. I can't sleep. I'm tossing and turning because I'm thinking of so many million different things. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to be here. I want to be there. I want to be everywhere. I want to do so many things, and I want to make so many people happy. You know, I don't want to let anybody down, and it just gets my chest so tight like calm down Mm. take a deep breath and how did your relationship with god and how did your faith help you when you were going through the domestic abuse and how did it help you when you came out of it well it wasn't helping me much then because i was gonna say i wasn't i was i wasn't i don't even think i was as deep in my faith as i am now because I don't try to push my faith on another. People believe what they believe. They of have course, their own, yeah, yeah. They have their own reasons. If we enter a discussion, I will tell you why I believe what I believe mm-hmm. and how it impacts me. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to, you must do this. Yeah, you yeah, must, yeah. No, I can just, just like they shouldn't do that to you. Yeah, I, yeah. Just, I just explain this is how it is. This is what I do. If it piques your interest and you want to know more about it, oh, fair enough. But I don't impose it because some people, some people do different things. Some people, you know, I pray. Some other people pray different religions. University across the board, though, I do think it's very important to meditate. Mm-hmm. Just to take that time to just... It might not be meditating. You just switch Reflecting. off. Reflecting. Unpl- yeah, unplug. yeah, unplug. Just sit down. You know, but some people do it with a drink. You know, sit, sometimes I just sit in the garden or sit outside and just think to myself, that okay, cool, this is... Like, and I talk to myself. You spoke there about, you know, respecting other people's beliefs and not imposing things and them not imposing it on you. Do you think we're losing that a little bit? I think we've lost that quite a lot in this, the general conversation. I feel like everyone's just shouting at each other. Yeah, everybody's, off Twitter. Everybody, <laughs> everybody's just saying, I'm right and yep. this is wrong. No nuance. Um, no nuance. People are free to have their own opinions. And I think that's what people need to understand. If somebody's opinion doesn't align with you, 
There are not many things in the world that are facts. Yes, there are facts. 100%. 1 plus 2 equals 3. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah, so 1 plus 2 equals 3. But in terms of things like feelings and emotions, every individual is unique. You can't try to pigeonhole. Mm. It doesn't even relate to just literal beliefs. It can extend far beyond that. So you're pigeonholing someone based on their background, based their on background, their class, based yeah, on their race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's not for the best. And if people and what I've noticed is that when you embrace more, it's almost in the sense that it can almost take you further. You it's get, freeing. Yeah, it's mm. freeing. You get to understand that. Okay. And what's happened is that when I've embraced more, my knowledge of certain things have been increased. For example, some people believe that black people only know or a black person can only know this. So like they only like R&B or hip hop music, yes. for example, and for they don't example, like anything else. I could go to a person of an Asian descent. They might like it as well. And they might have a better understanding of, of certain things. Yeah. So one topic, you have about six or seven different angles instead of just facing it from just one angle. When you face it from one angle, you're a bit limited and restricted in your note because there's so many things that have a multitude. But what I've said, when I'm opening up, I'm seeing things from different angles and people are giving me a, a different understanding and different mm. meaning. I'm just like, oh, I never thought of it like that. You take different things into you know consideration and you start to understand that there are more to things as just individually as you see it, which can help you grow. It helps you network. Mm. Get, get to know more people. If you want a book to read like that, read The Scout Mindset, mate. It's an amazing book. I've got it on my shelf. One of the best I'll books I've ever read. <laughs> oh, no, I will. You can take a picture of any books you want on the shelf. What age do you think you were, mate? when you first realised and became self-aware of your mental health? Oh, uh, very recently. <laughs> um, last four or five years. Was there a, a eureka moment that some guests have described or was it more of a gradual process? It was a gradual process. Okay. Very gradual process where I realised that I am actually in control of my mental health. There's some things that I can control, what I come across, which can affect my mental health. What am I doing? Mm. Am I putting blockers in place? Am I reading more or am I exposing myself to some more freeing things that will help my mental health? And when did you have the first conversation with someone about your mental health? So who was it with? What did you say? And on the one hand, did it feel like a big moment or a big burden had been lifted off your shoulders? Or did it feel like something small, easy and insignificant? I don't know when I, because when I became aware of my mental health is not necessarily when I had the first conversation. Of course, about yeah, health. yeah. You've had conversations about mental health from young, from ages ago, but it was just a oh, mental health, mental <laughs> health. You know what I think, yeah, is that when you grow older, you're no longer in institutions which can probably protect, which shield your mind from, how can I say it now? From mental health issues. Let me give an example. When you're in school, all you know is you your wake school. up yeah. in school. Your world is your school. Your world yeah. is school. Yeah. That is it. You might do some sports after, but it is school is your priority. Mm -hmm. When you get to college, it's school and maybe work. You get to uni, it's school, work, and maybe... So what happens is that as you get older, your mind is exposed to more things which can impact your mental health in a drastic way, mm. which is probably why like, when I've had early conversations with it, I just like, oh yeah, mental, oh, I'm in school, I'm in primary school, I'm in secondary school, I'm going to the shop with my friends. Your life is so structured. 9am, you're in school, you come home from school, in the evening, you do whatever. 
it's school. That's all you know. Mm. As you get older, it's school and then what you have to manage relationships because now your friends are not in the same setting. You go for school for like five, six years. You're going to see your friend every day. You can guarantee, you know, maybe apart from like sickness or loss in the blood, you know you're seeing your friend in school tomorrow. Mm. Now you, you don't know when you're seeing your friend next. You don't, you don't know. You might be busy. And then you don't have necessarily have that person. That's an adjustment can, period. You have yeah. to adjust. You don't have that person where you can continue. People move. People, people move. change. People change. <laughs> like, I don't want to be friends with this person anymore. You don't yeah. want to be friends. Because why? Some other factors in life have come across. Within school, you can mitigate to, oh, he said, she said. Or you didn't come to class. Didn't come to class. Or you did something naughty. Or somebody told a fib. There's so many things that can affect you later in life. Money issues come into play complexity of relationships mm. come into play trauma trauma workplace come, the things that you're responsible for you could have a kid you get so many different things so yes I've, ha- I've had conversations about mental health when I was younger I think it was probably when I was working in the workplace where I had an I can't remember the date I think I was just speaking to one of my friends about work stressing me out I, I have to pay bills it's you know is it a means to an end I want to do more and then it was not only it was not until like two thousand and like nineteen where I had a therapist and I actually spoke to her about everything that's happened in my life and she put into perspective of maybe how I was maybe I was trying to please my parents everything that I was doing I wasn't doing it for myself I was doing it for a reception from another mm. person so you're people pleasing recovery people like me <laughs> yes yeah, so I'm doing it because oh this person's gonna say good job or to be liked or to be liked validated validated all of that not doing it for myself and when you're older and you somebody tells you that you sit back and think wow how many things could i have done differently then it's not late and how many people could i have blocked out and and not let into my life and just removed and not let them affect me exactly so that is i don't know if there was a way you could fit that into a curriculum or everybody should have somebody that they can talk to. But what I know is that from myself, I think I would implore that I would get my children to open up. Be self-aware from early. Be self-confident from early. That will help. Because you can overexpose them to mental health. I think that's the danger of some of the kids now. They're self-diagnosing with all sorts of rubbish. That's (laughs) that's when it goes, that's when the pendulum swings too far the other way. But there's a healthy medium, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. What's the best book or as I call it, mental health Bible you've read for your mental health. Now, it can be mental health related, but it doesn't exclusively have to be. And you can give the Bible if you want. <laughs> um, it could be the Bible, yes. Revelations, Mark? Uh, <laughs> Ephesians? Um, <laughs> you can tell I had a religious education you, you growing did. up. <laughs> um, have you read The Richest Man in Babylon? No. You should read it. Okay. It's a good book. Why did it help you? I haven't read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. No, I haven't read that either. I haven't read that. Richest Man in Babylon is a book that contextualizes the finances and navigating the way of the world. The Richest Man in Babylon, and I also read a, a book called Race to Win. Mm-hmm. It was by. Raise, as in R A I S E. Raise to Win, like that. No, or race, race to Win. Okay. Race to yeah. Win. It was by. I've forgotten his name now. The listeners can look it up. It's easy oh, to find. Oh my God. It's by this guy who's. he's a, He was an American football coach. And he spoke about how difficult it was to navigate his life. He always wanted, he won, I don't know if you watch American football, he won, he won three Super Bowls mm-hmm. with the Washington Redskins. 
but he detailed his life from the, the beginning, how he navigated relationships, how he navigated his faith, how he navigated his finances, and the impact and the importance that he placed on family, and making sure that every decision that made wasn't rash. He didn't say, oh, I'm going to do this, X, Y, and Z, I'm going to do it. He might have that thought of, I'm going to do this, but he'll do proper research into it. Ask people with some more experience around him. And based off of that, he would then make his decisions. He said it's really hard because as human beings, we want to be impulsive in certain things. But if you can structure in a way more to 60 to 70% of your actions, you will find that, that the course that you take will allow you to be more free, more happier, because you've done your due diligence in regards to winging it. I mean, mm. some people winging it works out for them, but how many people? You never know. And then as a final question, bro, what more do you think we have to do to ensure men from all backgrounds, all walks of life feel comfortable, feel safe in opening up about their mental health issues or just their general mental health if they want to do it? You're not mocking them and it doesn't make you weak. You're not a weak man for having emotion. You're not a weak man for expressing emotion. You're not a weak man for, you know, looking into your mental health. If anything, looking into your mental health and expressing yourself makes you stronger. You need to know how much more stronger because you can then relate more to people. You can then understand. It gives you a better insight. You can have conversations. What it allows you to do, it allows you to break down and understand that. I think what's happening is because before, the male is seen as the head of that house. It's seen as the family figure. And that's changed now. That, it, that's in certain, changed. In certain cultures, changed, yeah. But it's almost like because you are the head of the house, you cannot show weakness. But what has happened is that the world has developed, human beings have developed. You can still be the head of the house, but you need to be able to have emotion. Strong men express vulnerability. Yes, and vulnerability isn't weakness. To yeah. see what happens around you. The stigma, like you said, is a strong man, no emotion, nothing. It, it's just... Because those men saw themselves as supporting everyone around everyone them. Everyone around and them. And therefore, if they were faltering in any way they couldn't show it because then that might have an effect on the other people exactly yeah. which yeah. is to be able to show that that is not the case express yourself you are meant to we were made to express ourselves and that's what I, I, I want more men to to understand it doesn't it doesn't take anything away from you even if you just do it just once just see how you feel because what happens is that we're in this rat race of constantly we want to provide we want to do x y and z and as you're doing that you're you're ignoring all your emotions you're ignoring how you feel how much more in life how much more can you get better out of just being able to express yourself micah on that note it has been an absolute pleasure a privilege thank you so much for coming on just checking pod and talking to me bro thank you for having me Well, that's all we've got time for on this episode of the Just Checking In podcast. A massive, massive thank you to my bro, Micah, for coming on, sharing his story of domestic abuse, survival and recovery from it. I hope this podcast shows you that male survivors do exist. They are out there in numbers and you may even know one in your social network. I hope this pod has challenged you listeners about the idea of a quote unquote perfect victim. And I'll put some resources for male survivors of domestic abuse in the show notes. 
As always, thank you to all the vendors who've tuned in. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, give it a share on social media. Tell your friends or work colleagues about it. Please buy a ticket to the next Just Checking In Live. That link is on our link tree. You can write us a review or give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. If you like what we're doing here at Vent and want to support us further, you can go to our Patreon. That's at www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk. Or you can make a one-off donation to our GoFundMe. We hope to check in with you again very soon. And remember, guys, it is always okay to vent. Thank you.